0: He watched as flames began to engulf his church. The Reverend Wade Watts was a pastor at Jerusalem Baptist Church in McAllister, Oklahoma and president of the Oklahoma chapter of the NAACP. One day his nephew, JC Watts, would make it to Congress. But for Wade Watts, these were dark days surrounded by hatred. We have a photo of Wade, if you could Hunt that one down. Wade Watts had known hardship his entire life. He was born in 1919, and he remembered as a young boy how he had made friends with a little white boy, and, and he remembers going over to, to his friend's house for lunch, and, and, and he went inside when it was time for lunch, and he washed his hands, and he sat down at the table, which was set for, for two, and, and his friend said, oh, Wade, you can't sit there. Those, those spots are for me and Mama. You're, you're out on the porch, and he went out on the porch, and his friend's mother gave him food to eat on the porch, and as he was eating, this dog came up and was growling and barking and trying to bite him, and his friend said, Wade, he's doing that because you're eating out of his dish. In his 30s, Watts was called into Christian ministry. He knew what it was like to be turned away at restaurants, to suffer from segregated schools, to be treated as less than human. And as he watched the efforts to save the church as it burned that day, it's a spiritual home to a congregation of people following Jesus in a life of hardship and discrimination, Reverend Wade knew exactly who was behind it. It was Johnny Lee Clary, a former wrestler and a local leader in the Ku Klux Klan. He had burned a cross on a lot across the street from his house while his wife and 13 kids watched through the windows. Clary had accosted him in restaurants, he had harassed him in his home, he had left garbage in his yard and dead animals on his doorstep, and now he had torched his church. Shortly after these events, Johnny Lee Clary would be named the Imperial Wizard of the Grand Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. And Reverend Wade Watts watched the flames climbing up the side of his church. What does it look like to follow Jesus when dealing with those who harm you? I know a little bit about this. Reverend Watts knew a lot about it. Some of you have learned this as well. We're going to turn to Jesus gospel according to Luke chapter 6, where Jesus tells us what to do. This is the word of God, the word of Christ. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, Turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them To the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. If you will, I want you to close your eyes and picture a face. Think of the person who's hurt you in this life, perhaps one who has hurt you more than any others. You may have a number of faces juggling about for space in your mind right now, a face of someone who used you, who disrespected you, who abused you, who rejected you, who failed in their duty to protect you, someone who did real damage. I'm, I'm hesitant this morning because we're often dealing with very big wounds and my few words may risk seeming to minimize the experience of trauma of those of us here in the sanctuary or those of us joining us online. Uh, These are sensitive matters. I remember years ago when jury duty in city of St. Louis in the courthouse downtown I had been pulled for a panel of potential jurors and the judge was asking each person to answer whether or not they had experienced the type of abuse that this trial was going to be about. It involved an older relative and a child and she asked those who had experienced something like that to please stand and she went one by one and pulled them did this happen to you yes ma'am did this happen to you yes ma'am and she got to the last one a, a frail latina woman who was shaking and she couldn't get any words out of her mouth and finally the judge frustrated with her asked her to please come forward to the to the bench and she did that and she got up in the in the little booth to the side of the bench and 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 the judge started asking her questions and we couldn't hear what the question was but finally the most horrifying shriek yes and then this woman collapsed and fell unconscious backward and hit her head against the wood she had probably never told a soul of the trauma that she had experienced. Whatever face comes to your mind, Jesus wants to speak to that relationship. For some, the person is long gone. For others, you have to go home to them today and see them tomorrow in the office. And what does Jesus say to us in these situations with people who hurt us? First thing Jesus is saying to you is I want you to call them enemies. I want you to put them in the right category. Otherwise, what Jesus says next is going to have absolutely no power to free you up to actually love. Because this is difficult, because sometimes the person who hurt you most is, 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 is also a, a parent, or a child, or a wife, or husband, or boss, or teacher. But Jesus is saying, I also want you to categorize them as your enemy. That's the term he uses in verse 27. The people who hurt you. Look at how Jesus describes them. In verse 28, they strike you on the cheek. They take your tunic. They curse you. He says they mistreat you. He calls them, in verse 35, wicked. We have to be able to have this category of enemies and of people who are wicked and who do horrible things to us. I remember Jerem Barrs years ago, probably almost 30 years ago, talking about counseling a, a, a wife whose husband was really not a good husband. He was a horrible husband, and he mistreated her a lot. And, uh, and, and this wife was fixated on, on how awful he was and all the things he was doing, and, and Jerem looked at her and very gently with his lovely English accent and, and explained, what your husband has done to you is grievous, and he deserves to be punished by God in hell for eternity. And she immediately started saying, well, no, he's actually quite good with the kids, uh, you know, because we don't want to come to terms with the fact that what was done to you was probably worse than you realize. He talks here of those who hate you. In verse 27, you say, Greg, hatred is a really strong term. I mean, in in my case, it's just, you know, they had their own issues, and that prevented them from being able to see my issues and my needs, and so they didn't really think of my best interest. Exactly. That's what the Bible calls hate, because our obligation is to love all people, and especially those that God has placed before us, to love them, to, to know them, to understand their issues, so that you don't trigger them, so that you don't hurt them, so that you don't wound them, and anything that's not that it's the opposite of love, which is, is hate. Jesus calls it hatred. We've got to be honest and stop brushing this stuff off. I remember a kid who, who was playing with a cousin, and the cousin uh, tried to... Um, showed him some magazines that were inappropriate and tried to touch him, and the kid got away and told his parents... And what his parents said was, you should not have been alone with him, and I don't ever want to hear about this again. Blame the victim. Silence the victim. These things ought not be. There are people in this world who who should make you angry, and anger is not always a sin. It It can certainly be an occasion for sin, but it's not always sin in itself. I remember once in a situation I was going through probably a decade ago, um, working with a counselor through a relationship and, and, and the other person, not a romantic relationship, um, but uh, you know, trying to work through some difficulties that we were just not hearing each other, seeing each other, working well together. And, uh, and he said, uh, Greg, you're angry. And I said, I'm, I'm not angry. And the counselor jumped in and said, Greg, you should be angry. If someone talked to me the way you were just talked to, I would be angry. You need to deal with the reality of the relationship as it is and not sugarcoat everything Jesus is saying when there are people who do these things to you, I want you to give them the proper label. I'm calling them enemies. No sugarcoating, no religious naivete. Realize it may be worse than you realize and it's not okay. The biblical term, the term Jesus uses for that is enemy. And until you can bring yourself to confront the injustice and apply the right label, nothing else that I'm going to say is going to have any power at all want you to call them your enemy. You don't need to say it out loud, you don't need to say it to them, but that's the category I want you to have for the people who wound you and hurt you and disrupt your life and who may very well destroy you. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to love them. Now, what does love mean? Love does not mean forgive and forget. Um, Christ tells us in Matthew 18 to confront those who sin against us, and, and, and then if they don't hear it, then bring others along for your protection as well as, as witnesses. Uh, love certainly covers over a multitude of sins, but that assumes that the sin is dead when you bury it. If you bury a sin that's still alive, it's going to come back and haunt you, and it's going to keep showing up and keep affecting you. I remember a couple in in an abusive relationship many years ago, where the guy he would just she she would do something that would upset him, upset his sense of control in the relationship, and so he would get on his email and he would just call her horrible names by email, sending it to her work email, um, and and he'd call her a name in like five point print, and then next line, 10, then 15, then 20, and eventually it's these huge letters in these emails, and he would just go at it, just to, to destroy her, and, and afterwards, he was in tears, and he asked forgiveness, and, and he realized just how horrible he had been, and the damage he had done, and, and then he said, now she has to forgive me, right? And I'm like, dude, I think she's already forgiven you, But forgiveness and trust are completely different things. You just burned down her house. She would be an idiot to hand you a a box of matches and a can of gasoline. Because it's gonna take a long time. If there's gonna be any reconciliation, it's gonna be a long time before trust is rebuilt. Forgive and forget is not love. Be a good boy or girl is not love. That's the pressure that victims have to pretend like nothing happened, to not confront it, to not talk about it, to just uh, smile and pretend. Uh, And yet that's not how Jesus addressed the money changers in the temple court of the Gentiles. Uh, What that does is it maintains the status quo and allows evil and injustice to flourish unchecked. Um, Jesus says, you shall be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. There's a wisdom here. Love also doesn't yield to a Here I am. It doesn't yield to others whatever they happen to want. You know, Jesus is using hyperbole when he says, "Turn the other cheek." Uh, he's saying, "Don't return in vengeance," but he's overstating it rhetorically to, so that we get the point. Um, don't smack them back in the face. Um, there are biblical examples of loving disruption of loving, faithful disobedience. Uh, I think of the Hebrew midwives who, when they were told to to kill all of the Jewish babies, uh, they lied, or the boys. They lied, and they they instead protected the children, and they were praised for their lying because they were protecting lives. Uh, I think of Peter and the apostles when the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, forbids them to preach in the name of Jesus, and they say, no, we can't obey you rather than than god Uh, i think of in the old testament abigail and nabal where nabal was the fool who hated the lord and uh, abigail abandoned him in order to side with the people of god there are times where you're not supposed to yield to whatever they want that's not what love is it's not forgive and forget it's not be a good boy or girl it's not yield to whatever they want so what does love mean when you're talking about loving your enemies It means to begin with releasing any claim of judgment over them. So we are also sinners. We sinned against and we sin. We're in no position to be anybody's judge. Uh, This is the forgiveness that Jesus talks about in verse 37 when he says, Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Forgiveness means giving up any and all personal vengeance against them no pound of flesh. Jesus describes returning their curse with a blessing in verse 28. That means no aggression, passive or active. You may still want vengeance, and you can forgive them and still want that, but you're entrusting that desire for vengeance to God and releasing it. That's forgiveness, and forgiveness ultimately means that you are paying down their debt for them because the wound that they have given you, they can't take back you got to pay it down, and that will get you angry at times. You can be absolutely forgiving somebody and feel really angry because you're having to pay down their debt for them because that's what forgiveness does. It means actively seeking their spiritual benefit. Do unto others, Jesus says. In this same context, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He says in verse 28, pray for those who mistreat you. It's very hard to hate somebody that you pray for every single day. It's very hard to hate somebody when you're on your knees asking God to give them repentance. And in this context, praying for them certainly means praying for their repentance. That God, if they're still alive, that God would convict them and convert them and bring them to the the ability to see the damage that they have done. To see what's inside them and to grieve that and to turn outward to God and to seek forgiveness. That's, That's what you can pray for for them what if they're unrepentant? Or what, or what if they're just no longer with us? You can still forgive. Forgiveness is something you're ultimately offering to God. You're saying, God, I do things that annoy you every single day, and you have forgiven me, and so I forgive them as well. Forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. Repentance, if they repent, that may open the door for reconciliation and, and a long faithfulness, a new obedience uh, over time can rebuild trust even. Um, and, and, but, but, you know, being forgiven is different from them repenting. Them repenting opens the door for reconciliation. Reconciliation, if they change over time, can bring about trust. I remember one friend of mine, years and years ago, um, he was a frequently, he was a very angry man. He took offense at a lot of things because I think a lot of things had been done to him that made him uh, easily take offense when maybe some wasn't intended. Um, and yet he was hurting a great deal. And I remember somebody had done something to hurt him. And 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 I listened to him, processed his anger. And it was so intense and, 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 and And I I said, well, where's a place to forgive? Um, And he said, you don't understand. They wronged me. And I told him, those are the only people God will ever call you to forgive. And until you forgive, what you've gone through will continue to control you. It'll come out in other areas of your life. Jesus warns us about unforgiveness with a severity we see rarely in his teaching and jesus is opening the door through forgiveness to freedom i want you to call them your enemy and i want you to love them meaning forgiving them before god praying for them and doing good to them and seeking god's gift of repentance for them how is this possible you can't love until you've been loved. And you cannot love an enemy until you have been loved by an enemy. That's what Jesus did for us. We are both sinned against and sinners, and on the cross, what Jesus did was he, he for his enemies, <laughs> he died. Um, in 2006, a man named... Roy Klein was policing together with colleagues, a dangerous part of his Israeli town and as he and his friends were walking, a Hamas fighter threw a grenade over the wall right in their midst and Roy, that's Roy Roy in an instant said the Shema Hear O Israel, the Lord our God the Lord is one and threw himself his body on the grenade right as it exploded, and it tore him apart, and as he lay bleeding to death, he called in his own death and reported it. He sacrificed himself for his friends, for his colleagues. That's what Jesus did for me. That's what Jesus did for you, only only it was actually a little different, because it wasn't his colleagues that Jesus died for. It was his enemies. It was as if an Israeli had thrown a grenade in the midst of a bunch of Hamas fighters, and this Israeli soldier threw himself on it and allowed it to kill him in order to save his enemies. The Bible says it is when we were God's enemies that Christ died for us. That's what Jesus did, knowing everything, knowing that the grenade that he saw, that Jesus saw, was a lot more than physical death, that it was the full-blown wrath of God against all injustice, cruelty, hate, selfishness, sin, wickedness, and injustice. Knowing it was the Father's rejection, that the Father would turn his, his back upon his Son, Jesus, knowing all of that, threw himself onto that grenade. That's what he did on the cross and took the full blast of the explosion. He took it because he could not bear the thought of seeing you take the force of that explosion. See, God your Father is merciful, verse 36 Jesus says. Love your enemies do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. Why? Because God is merciful to the ungrateful and wicked. C.S. Lewis said to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. The degree to which You let this wash over you that your best friend Jesus had to die for you is the degree to which you will be willing to die inside by forgiving your enemies and releasing them from your judgment. And that indeed will be actually a death that brings life. God is not an angry ogre shaking a stick at you. He is your dad. He is wild about you. He sings over you in song. And as you realize that and let that shape you, you can find the courage to say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors because it's all about Jesus and the love of God for sinners like us, the ungrateful and the wicked. To love your enemy like God loved you when you were his enemy. That is living loved, loved by a father who knows what you have suffered, who has seen what you have endured, who has entered into your suffering with love and with compassion and with tenderness and with grace and has lived as you uh, and, and who has lived a life of suffering for us precisely because he loves us. The Reverend Wade Watts, Had his first encounter with Johnny Lee Clary at a KOMA radio talk show. Clary walked into the studio and immediately Wade Watts thrust his hand into into Johnny and shook his hand. And realizing what had happened, Clary yanked his hand back. Uh, He later explained, I I was taken aback by Reverend Watts. He was a, a man in a suit carrying a Bible. I was, I was expecting some big Black Panther type with a, a, a black power sign and, and a kill the crackers button. And, and so he pulled his hand off of Reverend Wade's and it stared at his hand. And Reverend Wade just said, don't worry, Johnny. It don't rub off. After the radio interview, Reverend Wade approached Johnny Lee Clary in the parking lot with his baby girl Tia in his arm. And he said, now, Johnny, can you honestly tell me that you hate this little girl, and Clary was speechless. Then the anonymous phone calls started to come to the Watts house. There would be be threats, racist epithets, names, curses, all in a disguised voice, and every time Reverend Wade would speak into the phone and say, well, hello, Johnny. It's so kind of you to be thinking of me. God bless you, son. Jesus loves you, Johnny. Then came the cross burning across the street from the house, men in sheets facing their home, and out of the front door strolls Reverend Wade Watts with a smile on his face. Boys, what are you dressed up for tonight? Halloween's not for four more months. If I'd have known you were going to be building a fire like that, I'd have brought some hot dogs and some marshmallows. And as always, may God bless you, Johnny. Jesus loves you, Johnny. One day, Reverend Watts was eating in a diner when Johnny and several men dressed in white sheets walked into the restaurant. Every eye in the place turned as Johnny Lee Clary sat down across from Reverend Watts. Your kind aren't welcome here, he said. If you care for your safety, you'll get up and leave this place now. He looked down at Wade's plate and said, before you touch that plate, you better believe that whatever you do to that chicken I'm going to do to you. And Wade reached down to his plate. He picked up the chicken and he kissed it. <laughs> Even the clan members were laughing. And as always, Reverend Wade looked up at Johnny and say, "May God bless you, Johnny. Jesus loves you, Johnny." Another anonymous call came. This time Wade continued, "I'm praying for you, Johnny." And then he continued to offer a prayer over the phone for Johnny Lee Clary that God would forgive his sin, that Johnny would see the love of Jesus, that he would turn from the path of hate to experience the path of the love of God for sinners like us. And then there was another fire at the church, and then there was more harassment, and then there was silence. A decade passed when Reverend Wade Watts received another phone call from Johnny Lee Clary. Do you remember me? He asked. Well, hello, Johnny. What brings you to call an old friend like me? Johnny explained that his girlfriend had rejected him, that the FBI was now investigating him, that his life was a mess. But Johnny told the Reverend Wade that he had started attending a church. He explained that God had convicted him of his sin and that he had just become a Christian and he was calling to ask Wade Watts to please forgive him for all of the things he had done to him and to his family. As Watts listened, he told Johnny that he had already forgiven him long ago, but that his confession now opened up a way for something more than just forgiveness. Johnny, you have a story to tell, and you're going to tell it to my church this Sunday johnny hedged but these people will hate me they might be tempted johnny but they won't hate you they know jesus these people know love okay I'll, I'll be there if i can find it you ought to be able to find it you burned it down twice that sunday some members of the church didn't show up at all because a klansman was speaking they didn't feel safe it's understandable but as johnny began to share what all god had done uh, what what all he had done to them and to their pastor wade he began to weep he told them how god had convicted him of what great evil was inside of him how he had heard that jesus could forgive even the wicked people like him and he asked jesus blood to wash away his sins and to give him a new life and wade watts came up to johnny and the two embraced as the entire congregation broke out into an emotional chorus of amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That Sunday, at the close of the worship service, Reverend Wade's teenage daughter Tia, the same little girl he held in that parking lot so many years earlier, His teenage daughter, Tia, came forward and confessed Jesus Christ as her Savior for the first time. Tia had stated that she could never follow Jesus after she watched what her father had gone through. She had watched him abused and humiliated. She had seen a burning cross outside her bedroom window as a little girl. She had seen so much evil. How could God care about us in the face of such abuse? And then she listened. As the man behind all of that evil and all of that abuse confessed it, repented, and asked forgiveness before the congregation of the man he had abused, Tia now saw the gospel had power. Jesus is alive. Jesus does love us jesus restores and he heals and reverend wade saw his daughter once so hardened against god because of her pain he watched her come to jesus and all he could say was only god could use a clansman to bring my daughter to jesus we have another photo of johnny lee clary he is god ordained uh, and became a pastor He is the only, or he was the only white pastor in the Church of God in Christ, the largest African-American denomination, all because a follower of Jesus chose to love in the face of incredible evil. He lived loved by God, and so he loved even his enemy, and just like he had learned from Jesus, who loved us before we knew him. Let's pray.